All right, so we are uh, we're getting back to our verse by verse. Uh, we took a little bit of a break there, but we are going to be going into Galatians. So that's going to be a good little journey to go through here. Um, so as a preface, you know, we, we just got out of 1 John. And 1 John talked a lot about false teachers, false teachings, right? We talked a lot about that. In 1 John, the emphasis was that people were saying that Christ had not come in the flesh. That God had not come in the flesh. That was what John was dealing with in his epistle. And also that sin didn't matter as long as you were a spiritual person. That's the kind of things that, that John was dealing with in his epistles. So here, though, we have in Galatians, we have Paul. And Paul is dealing with an issue as well of the churches that have been set up over in Galatia. So, instead of the deception that we speak of in 1 John, what's going on here is a, is a perversion of being justified by your faith in Christ. That is the issue that's going on in, in Galatia, and that's what we're going to be talking about a lot in this epistle. So, it's not, uh, and these, these issues, like we saw in 1 John, the same thing in, in, in Galatia, you know, they're having issues that we have today. They're having problems that we have today as well. Uh, because if we're not living in the Word, if we're not indwelled with the Spirit, if we're not born again, we can have these very same problems going on, and I just want to talk about that in a, in a minute here as well, because it's very easy to relate to these epistles. Um, you know, in, in a fallen world, we, we have to stay close with God. Otherwise, it's really easy to, to stray. It's not hard at all. It only takes a second. Um, you know, sometimes you might, especially maybe when you first came to the faith, you might read these epistles and go, well, how could they believe that? That's, that sounds strange. Like, for instance, the part in 1 John where, where they had a problem with people realizing that, that Christ was God. You know, we go, well, yeah, duh, it was. He was. He is. But for them, there was some real dissension from false teachers teaching that that wasn't the case. But the ironic part is that if we were to tell them the issues that we're having today, they'd probably say the same thing that we say. They say, well, how can you believe that? Right? Because we have plenty of false gospels. We have plenty of false doctrines that float around this world nowadays. You know, in, in general, and we've talked about this a little bit before, but there is a, a general liberalization that's occurred in the churches, especially in the United States. Um, in, especially in Britain, in Canada, a lot of those places, the churches have become very liberalized with, with some ideas that don't seem to match up with Scripture. You know, things like, like for instance, that they will say, well, everybody is basically a good person, but if we were all good people, we wouldn't need Christ. So we all have flaws, you know, they will teach that a lot of places, especially in the United States, I've heard, will teach that Christ is not the only way to salvation. They'll say he is a way, but not the way. 
well, I don't know how you can read the Bible and get that, but that's the things that they're teaching. Everybody's heard of the prosperity gospel, right? There are a lot of teachers that have taught this and have made a lot of money in this aspect, and they will tell you that God, if you come to Christ, that you're going to be happy, you're going to be healthy, and you're never going to have any problems in this world. And I don't know how you could set anybody up more uh, in a better position for failure than that, because what happens the first time that they do have a problem, that they do have a trial? They're going to think that God is not with them. That's just not the way it is in this world. And there's an old one that they had a problem with back then that we still have a problem with today, and that's the hyper-grace. The thought that I can sin as much as I want because Christ has my back and He will forgive me of all these sins. Where they just take advantage of that grace over and over again. And we all know, and it's unpopular to talk about because it doesn't make big congregations. In fact, it sometimes can make them quite small. But most churches, most of the mainline big churches, have embraced, openly embraced popular sins of the days. You know, and they're usually afraid to speak out against them because it affects the pocketbook. That's what it is. But we know these sins that, we, that we're talking about, they're usually sexual in nature. That's the popular sin of the day, just like it was back in ancient Greece. Homosexuality, the premarital cohabitation, um, transgenderism, abortion, all of these things. Most of the churches are now going, well, you know, it's not really our part to say, or they're saying it's okay. That's why you see splinterings like we do across the street. Um, their main organization is losing tons of churches all over the country because they don't agree with this liberalization that's happened with the main denomination. So they, we have plenty of the same issues. And if you want to get into specific doctrinal issues, kind of like they had back then, it's not a shortage of a list. Main church, mainstream churches, churches that you probably know people that go to, will teach things like the communion actually becomes blood and flesh inside of your stomach. That's something that's actively taught that I can't seem to find in Scripture. That that Jesus was created by God as the Archangel Michael before he became an incarnation on earth. That's actively taught in some churches. That you can become a God because God was once a man as we are. In fact, that he was Adam. That's actively taught in some very popular churches. That Mary can deliver your soul. Not Christ, that Mary can do it. That there are different levels of heaven and that we're all going to go no matter what. Well, if that's the case, what do I need Christ for? Why? If I'm, if I'm making it to heaven anyways. And then the popular ones would be that grace can be earned. That you can do good deeds and that will be what gets you to heaven instead of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And there are additional books that people have added to Scripture. And there are even some that will say that we all existed before coming to earth 
and that we did not fight valiantly in a rebellion in heaven, and that those of us that didn't fight valiantly came down here with a little bit of a darker skin. There are churches that teach these things. I'm not making these things up. I, if you ever want to know which ones they are, I can tell you, but there are churches that will teach these. So bad doctrine exists nowadays just as much, if not maybe more prevalent, than it did back then. All The only limit appears to be our imagination. So, so we are going to be in, like I said, uh, Galatians. And I wanted to, uh, in your pew Bible, um, if you want to kind of get an idea maybe of where we're looking at, if you go to page 923 and then you go forward six more pages because it stops being numbered there, you can actually see the map there and you'll see the area that we're actually talking about. Um, it's very, uh, all very tight, tightly knit. You know, we, we think of it as, when we're talking about this, like they're very far away, and they were maybe due to transportation limitations, but this is, this is all a common area where Paul went and spoke and, and set up churches. You'll kind of see there, um, when you, if you look at that map, Antioch up in the north is about the southernmost point of the churches where Paul set up. Okay? So, this epistle is a little different for Paul because he is not addressing a single church in this one. He is addressing, moreover, a region. A region of churches. If you notice that, we'll, when we get into the uh, intro here, you'll see that. He's, this is the only epistle where he does this as well. Paul had visited this area previously, if you read the book of Acts, and he established uh, the church of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Those are the southern points there. That's where Paul had set up churches when he had went around to the Gentiles. Now, when we say Galatians, and I'm just, I know that some of this is kind of educational per se, but it's just to kind of give us an idea of, of what's going on in this epistle before we start really digging into it. When we say Galatians, this term actually is kind of a dual meaning. It's, it's both an ethnic group of people and it's an actual province of Rome. So it didn't used to be, and then eventually Rome came in and conquered them and set it up as Galatia. But it's also an ethnic group of people. Anybody remember the Gauls? You ever hear about the Gauls? Well, these people settled there after they went in and fought some wars. And so that's where the name kind of comes from. The Gauls had settled there and intermingled with people there. So it was a very warlike region at one point, And then Rome came in and squashed everything and said, you're going to become a province of Rome now. But these people have been described by some Roman emperors, and I want you to listen to this, this is a description of them, as fickle in their resolve, fond of change, not to be trusted, frank, impetuous, impressible, eminently intelligent, fond of show, but extremely inconsistent, the fruit of excessive vanity, um... So, I mean, basically it could be part of the United States if we really wanted it to. So, all the same problems that we have nowadays, right? 
Same kind of thing. <clears throat> if they had TV, they'd probably have the Kardashians. So, But this is the kind of people that Paul was dealing with when he was setting up these churches. So, Paul writes this letter, this epistle, because he needs to counter these Judaizers, these false teachers in this region. And like I said, their main thing that they were doing that Paul was concerned about was they were undermining the fact that you and I and everyone else are justified when we have faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved when we have faith in Jesus Christ. They were saying, and we'll get into it a little deeper, but they were saying that you must first become a Jew. You must first convert to Judaism, live the law, all that kind of stuff, and then you can become a Christian. So they were changing the whole game. And Paul is writing to them because of the danger and the consequences that are involved when you go against such an essential doctrine in our faith. So that's, that's what we're dealing with in this epistle. And it's a very, very good epistle. Probably one of my favorites. <clears throat> so we are going to read just the first five verses today. Because I think that's really all we're going to have time for. And we'll talk about them for a minute. And uh, it's just to get us kind of introduced here to what's going on. So, starting with verse 1. <clears throat> and like I said, like usual, mine is out of the NASB, so it might sound a little different than yours. It says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through human agency, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. A little bit of a different intro than we might be used to little bit of a different one because he gets very specific in what he's saying here. So, to start with, Paul makes it very plain at the start of this that he is who? He is an apostle. So he is saying this, we would assume, because we have people undermining the authority of the gospel, so Paul is coming in and saying, look, I am an apostle of the Lord, you need to take this epistle seriously. <clears throat> so he wants them to be taken serious to take this seriously. But another aspect to possibly consider, there's a uh, quote from somebody. I don't know if this guy is a pastor or not, but his last name is Robertson. He says that the bluntness of Paul's denial is <clears throat> due to the charge that Paul was not a genuine apostle because he was not of the twelve. So this is a possibility as well going on in this epistle for this intro that some people may have been saying he was not of the 12 apostles, so he is not an apostle. So this brings two questions to mind then. Was Paul the 12th apostle? Because this is something that people talk about. Or, if not, was Paul an apostle? So we have to remember back to the book of Acts that Judas dies and they choose Matthias by the casting of lots after they had been praying fervently to God. 
They said, God, we need to replace this man. And they prayed and they prayed and then they cast the lots. Now, here's the thing. I don't think that this is really all that big of a deal, but nowhere in the New Testament does it say that Matthias is not the 12th apostle. Nowhere does it say that. He died a martyr's death, in fact, on the cross. So he apparently took his job very seriously. So, I don't think that, uh, I I think it's probably incorrect to say that Paul was the 12th apostle, and that's subject to your opinion as well. But it's, I think it's wrong to say that he was not an apostle. Because we know that the other apostles accepted him into the fold as that. They never countered his claim to say that. We know that he had his Damascus experience, which was quite the thing. One of these days we ought to go in and read that. If you haven't, that's a good thing to read. But while yes, he, like I said, yes, he is an apostle. He just probably is not of the twelve especially of the 12 mentioned in Revelation that would judge later. But Paul, from all things that we can see, was definitely the apostle to the Gentiles. And so here, it it doesn't seem in this intro to be a a boastful thing when he says this, but this is more of kind of like like a holy pride, like, you know, I'm an apostle. I was chosen by God. So, just a quick, I didn't want to get off too deeply on that, but something worth mentioning. So essentially, in Galatia, there's, going to, there's two regions, okay? There's the north and the south. Now, some people like to, if you really start digging into this, like to get into whether or not Paul was writing to all of them, if he was writing to the southern region. I don't think it matters, because this epistle has something to offer all Christians, no matter where you live, even if you don't live in Galatia, because we're going to be reading it. So, most likely, he probably was writing it to the south, because that's where the churches that he established were, were at. But we all know that, based on where the, where the manuscripts went, that they got them, copied them, and sent them everywhere. So, everyone got to read these things, just as we are as well. <clears throat> so, in this epistle, though, the cross is, is going to be spoken of often. And so it's not a surprise that in the intro, we get additional insight here to the cross as well. Because we everybody knows in John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But here we see, where is it here? Let's see. Where it says in verse 4, that he uh, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. <clears throat> so we see here that not only did the Father give Jesus Christ, but that Jesus Christ gave himself as well. Because of our sins, which alienated us from God. We all know where that puts our final destination if we were unsaved. So, so that we would not remain in our sinful nature, in our trespasses, dead to our sins, Christ gave himself as well. So, that's very important to, when you think back to what we were originally talking about, 
Because originally we were talking about the false gospel that was imputing itself, uh, imputing itself into this area where you had to do works to save yourself. You had to become a Jew. You had to live the law. Well, right here this is saying that Christ gave himself so that he might rescue us. Not he gave himself so that we could do some good works and then he would rescue us with the rest, right? <clears throat> so Paul is basically by setting, by making these statements of the gospel here, he is denying that heresy that is going on there right from the start of the epistle because Christ died for our sins and there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. So one of the, and I'll close it out here pretty quick here, but one of the biggest issues, I think, with false doctrines is that they often take away from the glory of God. And that's what goes on here because you're doing something to help save yourself. It's the same thing that happens in all the, in all the cults. But if you read the end here, what does it say? Who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. This is all happening because of the will of our God and Father for his glory, not for our own. We aren't doing a thing to earn any of this. So, <clears throat> that is a kind of a quick introduction into Galatians. We're going to get in much deeper next week um, as we get into our verse by verse. But I just kind of wanted to set us up so we could kind of see what's going on before, uh, before we really dig in and see what Paul has to say to them.